We're glad to welcome you to Bible study. We're going to be in the fifth chapter of the Epistle of James. And that we have been teaching the Epistle of James in the light of a believer with a growing vision. And that's what God desires for us to do is grow. And each chapter in this book presents a mark of a believer with a growing vision. So chapter 1, to recap, shows a believer who is patient in testing. Chapter 2, a believer who practices the truth. Chapter 3, a believer that has power over that thing called the tongue. Chapter 4, a believer who's a peacemaker, not a peace taker or a peace faker. Now in chapter 5, which is where we're going to pick up today, a believer with a growing vision is prayerful in troubles. Have you ever been in a dilemma? Because I was in one today. And thankfully, a, a fellow, a friend of mine sent me a book. And so as I'm going through this dilemma, I read the definition of a dilemma. And I really didn't know it before. Let me share it with you. A dilemma is a choice between two undesirable alternatives. So if you have to make a choice, whatever choice you get to make, it's not going to be good. And I remember, I'm not shaking anymore, but it was one of those decisions that kind of gets your attention. And it made me think of when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. In chapter 26 of Matthew, uh, verse 39, the Bible says he went a little further and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So it's interesting that as Jesus realized he was in a dilemma, if he didn't go to the cross, mankind couldn't be forgiven and delivered. But if he was to go to the cross, he would face unimaginable pain and suffering as well as three days and nights uh, away from the presence of his father in hell. So Jesus was in a dilemma. And the Bible said that he's in this garden called Gethsemane, which means an olive press. And they used to press olives uh, with these great big stone weights, and it would just press the juice out of the crushed olives. And the Bible says that Jesus was under such strain that he was actually sweating drops of blood. So he was in a dilemma. My dilemma wasn't anything like that. But... In the first portion of James chapter 5, we face troubles. And Jesus said, in the world you shall, have, you shall have tribulation. So that's part of just kind of being alive. And actually, if, if the Bible says, beware when all men speak well of you. So if stuff's just always going right as a believer, sometimes I take heed to myself and say, wait, I should be facing some sort of opposition being salt and light. In this world. So the first section of James chapter 5 is verses 1 to 6. And if you haven't found the epistle of James, just press pause. Or if you don't like the Bible study, just press stop. And no, it wants you to listen. But verses 1 to 6, it deals with two sources of trouble. So there are sources of trouble, and they're inevitably sometimes above our head. In verses 1 to 5, let's read those first. The first source of our trouble. 
Go to now, ye rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your silver or your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nursed your hearts as in a day of slaughter. So we find our first trouble is basically an, a, an instrumental trouble. It was money troubles. Now, riches aren't wrong uh, or evil. Abraham was rich. David was rich. Job was rich. They were rich, godly men. But what we do with money can be wrong. And so James tells us that work was done and people weren't paid. So these people were beginning to pray and go to God. And, you know, as Christians, it's interesting. First of all, let us recognize our duty to pay our bills and fulfill our financial obligations as a show of our faith in God. We should be good stewards, not only of our money, but of other people's stuff and other people's uh, the business we're involved in. But when it comes down to trusting money, you know that if you look at an American dollar bill, turn it over and it says, trust me. No, it really doesn't, does it? It says in God, we trust. If sometimes we have money troubles or sometimes we might have job troubles. It should point us to God that those things, we, we don't want to lean too much on money. We need to lean on God. We don't want to lean too much on our job. We need to lean on God. Trouble comes sometimes with that, that instrumental trouble. And in verse 6, we can also have an institutional trouble. The Bible says, Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. In verse 6, I guess some folks were having legal troubles. You know that golden rule? He that has the gold makes the rules. Not really. But in the writing of this epistle around this time, it was apparently easy to get control of the court system if you had enough money. So injustice was being done. And truly, governments aren't perfect. Uh, many years ago, there was a declaration of independence from the King of England, and the 13 colonies explained why they were no longer going to regard themselves as under British rule. And the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence has been called one of the best sentences in the English language. And it goes, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's interesting because justice systems aren't perfect, government isn't perfect, but notice what these colonists that were on their way to becoming the United States, under Thomas Jefferson's pen, they said that we're endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, that, that my rights might be upheld by government, but God is the ultimate one, the ultimate institution when I'm in trouble 
that gives me these rights. So if you're having institutional troubles or instrumental troubles, and they're there, maybe you're in a dilemma today, let's be prayerful in trouble. Verses 7 to 12 deals with our attitude in trouble. The Bible says in verse 7 and 8, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman, or the farmer, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. You know, it's interesting the husbandman or the farmer, the Bible says in verse 7, there's an early rain and a latter rain. The early rain is to plant the crops. The latter rain is to harvest the crops. And between the time you plant the crops and you harvest the crops, there's a space of time. If you're impatient, don't be a farmer. (laughs) But you see that I was talking to one of my friends and I said, you know, sometimes God, he wants to do a greater work in us. We want this trouble to end, but from verses 7 to 12, we have to have the right attitude in trouble. We have to cultivate this thing called patience. And James is really bringing this lesson again that was mentioned at the beginning of the letter. So in James chapter 1 and verse 2, it begins, my brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. See, God desires to do a work in us. And sometimes a trouble can actually be a blessing in the long run. Maybe your car won't start. You know, instead of banging stuff around and throwing stuff, maybe we could say, God, let me reframe this situation. (sighs) Next time this happens, I will not have spent all my money on Starbucks, so I'll have some bucks for a starter. See, what we can do when things go crazy sometimes is reframe the situation. Now, the frame is not the picture, but the frame goes around the picture and can enhance the picture. Not or detract from it. No, nice frames are expensive. If you go to a frame store, you'll be amazed at how expensive frames are. But we need to reframe our situation sometimes and say, you know what, God? I don't understand this trouble, but let's look around the trouble, and I'm going to paint this in a, in a different light, and I'm going to look at it in a way that's going to be a blessing to me. I'm going to have the right attitude in the trouble. In verse 8, it said, Be also patient, establish your hearts. One of the blessings of of trouble is that it can strengthen us. The word establish means to strengthen. Paul writing to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 11. Pause if you need to find that. He said, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end, you may be established. Paul wanted to establish people's faith so that when they have trouble, then that those, the faith that they have can carry them through, and especially with the right attitude. So James chapter 5 and verse 9 continues, Grudge not one against the other, another, brethren, 
lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. You know, it's interesting. There's a, there's a saying, this too shall pass. There was an end to the trial of Job. It didn't go for the rest of his life. And the Bible, if you read the end of the book, which is a great privilege of a, of a Bible reader, you can find out what happens at the end. And at the end, God wins, just to tell you if you haven't read the end of the Bible. But at the end of the book of Job, the Bible says that after all of the things he went through, that, that God blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. Through his trial, he was made a better man. Through his trial, through your trial, could it be that all things work together for good in your trial? I think so. In verse 12, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation. We don't have to cross our hearts, hope to die, and stick a needle in our eye. That's not going to add anything to the weight of our words. Just if your yes is yes, and let your no be no. And we don't have to add anything to that. Let us simple have a simple way of communicating our truth. But then, verses 13, until the end of the chapter, verse 20, we deal with the response to trouble. Now, if trouble comes our way, we don't sit there and take it physically if someone pushes you. There's a point where you're going to do something back. Well, it's the same in faith. Paul exhorted that young preacher, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. And so verse 13, it says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So it says here, and that's really the key verse, verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Are you in trouble? That word means in trouble. Let him pray. And if you're merry, now it's M-E-R-R-Y, which means happy. Let him sing psalms. Now, if your name is Mary and you're Mary, if you're Mary, Mary, well, then sing psalms. There's nothing wrong with being excited or having a good day. Man, shout on the way to the store, shout on the way home, and sing on the way. In your car, sing in the Uber. Maybe the driver will wonder where your joy is coming from. Well, it's interesting also, that's if you're a Mary, Mary. What if you're an afflicted Mary? An afflicted M-A-R-Y. Years ago, our neighbor, she was named Mary, and she was, uh, she was in trouble. She had a medical issue, and I believe her liver was failing. And she was going to Johns Hopkins up in 
believe Baltimore, Maryland, to get a liver transplant from down in Florida. So before she left, she uh, had my wife and I, she, we, we, we decided to pray. However it all happened. So we held hands, I remember, outside in the front yard and we prayed. And maybe a couple weeks later, she got in contact with us. I don't know if it was a phone call or if she was actually in person, but she said she went up there to Johns Hopkins and they had to do some type of preliminary test on the liver. Well, the doctor came to her and said, in so many words, I'm not a Christian, but this is a miracle. Your liver is healing itself. So she didn't have the operation and she came back down very much healed to Florida. You know that God still heals people. God still delivers and God still has the last word on our trouble. So if you're a Mary Mary, sing. And if you're an afflicted Mary, pray. God still works. Even with the preacher, it's still the best way. Go to God in prayer. Uh, a believer with a growing vision prays in trouble. Verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then it says Elias, which was Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. That means that he got down, he got grumpy, he was tempted, just like you and I. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. There was a time in World War II when Hitler staged a massive attack near the end of the war. It was called the Battle of the Bulge. And in December, December 14th, General Patton, there, was a, there were gray skies and inclement weather and our bombers couldn't bomb, they couldn't function, our air support couldn't function with the inclement weather. So General Patton went to a chaplain of the Third Army, Reverend J.H. O'Neill, and he wanted a prayer for better weather. So the prayer was printed on about 250,000 Christmas cards, and some still survive to this day, and sent out to troops on December 22nd. Within 24 hours, the skies had cleared. Hitler lost that battle, and Hitler had other bad things coming after that. But General Patton told this preacher, let's go to God. Let's go to God. We need God to clear the skies. We need God's help. And you know, believers, instead of giving up, we go up. Instead of giving up, let's get prayed up. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 said, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And then the last two verses, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he, that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. What's our response for trouble? Our great goal is to reach someone for God. You know that if you know someone that doesn't know God, begin to pray for them because the greatest thing that Jesus came for was you and me 
to redeem a soul from death, to redeem a soul from hell, and by extent, maybe a family or even a neighborhood, but you have the ability to make a difference through prayer. A believer with a growing vision prays in trouble. Your prayers will make a difference. Hey, God bless you.